today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. You know what we find as we read this, it had also impacted the church itself. They they weren't exempt from the world's influence, and the church isn't exempt from the world's influence. We can see it so many times. I could I could be really nice to us and say, yeah, the church general, those guys. You know, the world impacts those guys out there. But if we're real honest, we know that the world impacts us too. Because, again, that mindset, it's, it makes it hard for us to really live the way that Christ has called for us to live because the world is all the time screaming something totally, totally different. The world is all about keeping up with the Joneses. Entitlement is rampant in this generation. We live among people that won't hear truth because it offends them. Pastor David shows us how this parallels to the churches that received warnings and revelation. An idol is an idol, whether it's a bronze statue or a giant television. Ungodliness is ungodliness, whether it's wanting pagan traditions of old or wanting intimacy outside of marriage. We need to run from sin, no matter what generation it is. Well, let's join Pastor David in the book of Revelation chapter 2 with today's edition of The Open Word. begin looking at the church of Pergamos. And the word there in in chapter 2, verse 12 says, And to the angel of the church of Pergamos write, These things says he who has the sharp two-edged sword. Pergamos, or Pergam, was located actually inland from uh, Smyrna. It's uh, about uh, 40 or 20 miles or so inland from Smyrna. Uh, it was not nearly as big or as important a city as Ephesus or Smyrna was, but yet it was a wealthy city. It was also filled with still a lot of these vile uh, uh, temple and pagan worship centers there in Pergamos. And uh, again, each of these cities was pretty well known for the temples that they had, temples that were dedicated to pagan worship, temples that were dedicated to these these pagan gods. In Pergamos, they had temples to Athena, uh, Clapius, Aphrodite, uh, Dionysius, and, and Zeus, all of these there, as well as many other areas of, uh, again, pagan worship that were just filled throughout this area. Pergamus was a, was a cultural city. It, it boasted a pretty famous university for their time. Their library had over 200,000 editions within that library. And for that day and time, that's just absolutely amazing. So a very strong cultural area. As a matter of fact, their library was second only to Alexandria, Egypt. You've got these pagan worship centers. You've got wealth. You've got culture. And this is the focus of what this city is. It's not too unlike some of the great cities that we have 
even in our United States right now. We can, we could name a whole host of cities, everything from New York on the East Coast, LA on the West Coast, and a whole lot of them in between. Uh, cities within our nation that people look at and say, wow, that's a, that's a great cultural center. Wow, that's, that's a, a great university. Oh, the University of such and such is located there. No, they've got great libraries. They've got great museums and all. And in a lot of these cities, even today here in our culture, uh, the, the, the paganism of those cities is just as real as if we had temples there to Zeus or Athena or Dionysius. Because again, it's within the heart of the people and what becomes the focus and the desire and the drive of the people, not the things of God, but the things of pleasure, a fleshly pleasure. And so again, that, that whole pagan idea, that whole pagan culture that fills so many of the cities, even of our nation. We talk often about the fact that, well, we can, we can point at San Francisco and we can see the, the vileness and the filth and the grotesqueness of some that's in San Francisco. But you know what? There's, there's another place that's filled with vileness and, and filth and paganism. And it's a little town called Casa Grande. You see, you don't need to be a huge big city because the heart of man outside of Christ is easily to be filled with these things of the enemy. And again, that, so the, the battle is still there. We may not be a huge cultural city. As a matter of fact, some might laugh. Casa Grande, a cultural center? Uh, no, we're, we're not. We understand that. But we also know that here the, the church is alive. It's active. It's working. But the work of the enemy is also alive and active and busily involved in people's lives. People who are non-believers as well as trying to penetrate into the lives of believers. The image, the attitude of the culture of Pergamos was, was really negative for the Christian. It was really difficult to be a believer in Pergamos during that time. The whole Roman culture, uh, to them, Christianity was ignorance. To the Roman culture, Christianity was atheistic. Remember, we spoke about that because the Romans believed in, in this, this plethora of gods and Christianity didn't believe in any of those. We just believe in one God. And so the Romans looked at us and said, well, you guys are atheistic. You don't believe in all of these gods. And they actually looked at Christians as being rather ignorant because, again, they weren't filled with the culture of their times. And you look at the world, and a lot of times the world right now looks at Christians, and do they not look at us and say, well, you've you've got to be kind of unlearned. You, you know, if you were really smart, if you were really well-educated, you wouldn't believe in all this superstition of somebody raising from the dead. And this book, I mean, after all, and we talked about that uh, uh, weeks ago on Sunday morning, the validity of this book. Really, you you want to put your, your life's trust in, in this book. And again, uh, for the Roman culture, it was difficult, but it's also the same way, I believe, for us today. And it's getting worse. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but within our culture, the, the attack on Christianity is getting stronger and stronger and more blatant and, and bold. And so we, we look at that and we understand to the Roman world how foolish the Christians looked in their eyes. They only worshipped one God. For the Christians, their God was executed. And not only was he executed, he was executed on a cross, a Roman cross, which was, again, one of the worst ways to be executed. 
And although the Christians claimed that their God rose from the dead, uh, for the Romans, he was nowhere to be found. He wasn't a political leader. He hadn't saved them from any kind of a financial or any kind of a cultural oppression that they were going through. Uh, the Christians, as the Romans looked at them, they realized these Christians lived most of their lives with, with great humility. And, and by and large, the world just doesn't accept humility. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed that in the world, but the world today accepts the bigger, better, badder, brighter, uh, more expensive, uh, the, the, the stronger influence, all of these things. Someone that comes in and doesn't have a lot of influence and a lot of power, the world just kind of ignores that type of a person. It's a totally different direction. The culture of the world versus the culture of Christianity. As Christians, they didn't take much stock in financial wealth. As a matter of fact, they, they often gave away most, most of their worldly goods. And for the Roman culture, they just didn't understand that. And that was so foolish to them. So, so ignorant the way that these Christians lived and they would not and could not accept that thing. That's one of the reasons, too, why those that were, uh, again, well off within the Roman culture, it was so hard, so difficult for them to accept the message of Christ. What do you mean I've got to die to self? What do you mean I, I've got to be nothing in order that he might be everything? When my culture is telling me just the opposite. I've got to, again, portray myself. I've got to put myself out there. I've got to be uh, someone within this culture in order to really impact this culture. And yet, for the Christian, it's just the opposite, that we would become less in order that he might become more. All of these things going on to the world, they were foolish, they were ignorant, they were atheistic. The contamination of that whole pagan culture had permeated every aspect of that city, every aspect of the lifestyle of their people. And you know what we find as we read this? It had also impacted the church itself. They they weren't exempt from the world's influence, and the church isn't exempt from the world's influence. We can see it so many times. I could I could be really nice to us and say, yeah, the church general, those guys. You know, the world impacts those guys out there. But if we're real honest, we know that the world impacts us too. Because again, that mindset, it's, it makes it hard for us to really live the way that Christ has called for us to live because the world is all the time screaming something totally, totally different. And then when members within the overall church is screaming the same thing that the world is screaming, then it makes it even harder for us as believers to say, you know what? But that's not the teaching of my Jesus. That's not the direction of what I see the church should be doing. Oh, but that's the way it used to be. Now we need to do, well, it changes. No, it doesn't. The message of Christ remains the same. So Jesus gives this message to the angel or to the messenger of the church at Pergamos. He says, these things, says he who has the sharp two-edged sword. This idea of the two-edged sword, its it's been out earlier, even as John was describing the, the one that he was speaking to. He was describing the Son of Man. He says, out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. In Ephesians chapter 6, we read that the uh, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. 
It agrees with the description of the power of the Word of God that we find throughout the Word, throughout the New Testament. The writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 4 that the Word of God is living and powerful, and it's what? Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and spirit and of the joints and the marrow, and is the discerner of thoughts and the intents of the heart, that the Word of God is the discerner of the intents and the thoughts of our heart. How in the world can it do that? Well, as we, re- I don't know about you, but, uh, as, as, well, I do know about you because you're not that much different than me. But as I read this word, guess what? All of a sudden I see myself in reality. I see the weaknesses of my own flesh. I see uh, the shortcomings of my own life. See, I can look at myself in a mirror and I can look fairly well. I can, I can look good and I can, I can pat myself on the back and say what a great job that I'm doing. But when I look at myself through the word of God, suddenly the word of God reveals something about me that I don't necessarily want to look at. Suddenly it reveals those areas in my life that I'm very selfish, that I'm very prideful. That, I, that I'm very uh, uh, focused on the things of the world rather than the things of God. And when I read this word, it just pierces right into me. That's why a lot of times we can we can open up the word and we can we can preach the word and share it, and all of a sudden somebody comes up to me afterwards and says, "Has my wife been talking to you?" You know, no, but God's word has. And, you know, and it's hit about a dozen of us all in the same way. Why? Because it's sharp and it pierces us. It goes to the very core of who we are. Uh, still in Hebrews, it says there's, there's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. When we Allow the word of God, that sharp two-edged sword, to pierce into the core of who we really are. It's, it's like open surgery. It's just opening us wide open. And within that, we see the, the grossness. We see the, 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 the disease. We see the, the, the malformations of our life. And we understand, Lord, how much I need your healing work within my life, how much I need your restorative work within my life, how much I need your spirit to give life because there's areas and parts of my life that are so dead. That's why sometimes Christians even have a hard time reading this word. Why? Because it penetrates our heart. But beloved, it's a good penetration. The word of God reveals the truth to us and we're called to be in that word and allow that word to do the surgery that it's needed in our lives. That two-edged sword, you gotta understand that in this, in this culture, to say that that two-edged sword was coming out of his mouth or that the word of God is a two-edged sword, the two-edged sword was like the automatic weapon of the day, okay? You know, they, they didn't have automatic weapons like we do. But if you had a two-edged sword, that was a pretty powerful weapon, very lethal. It was able to strike both coming and going, forward and backwards, up and down, man, just any way you failed that thing. It was it could cut and it could do damage. And uh, that's the strength of it. That's the power. And that's the fearful thing about it too. Because somebody come at you with a two-edged sword, uh, you know, something's going to get hurt at that point in time. Something's going to, you know, there's going to be some business done with that. And so the one here who comes, who has the sharp two-edged sword, comes up and speaks to the church there at Pergamos in verse 13. He says, I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, 
and you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. And again, just as the church in Smyrna, Jesus was aware of their works. He was aware that this church was doing works. And the way that it's presented, it's understood that these works themselves, they were, they were good works. They were, they were right works. They were the things that they needed to be doing. But just as it is for you and me today, works in and of themselves, even good works, are never the intended end of things. You understand what I said? That even good works are not the intended end of things. The intended end of things is our relationship with him. Because you see, we can do a whole lot of good works and never have that relationship right. And I believe that that's probably what's going on in many of these churches, even as Jesus says, oh, I know your works. I know your works. Even when he gets to the church of Laodicea, he says, I know your works, but I also know that you're neither hot nor cold. You see, it's not just the end game of doing the right thing. It's doing the right thing for the right purpose and the right heart and the right attitude in mind. Jesus knew that they were able to do this work even in the midst of the bad location, even in the midst of that sinful culture that they were in. Jesus knew where they dwelt. And when we read this phrase where where Satan's throne is, it's kind of difficult to give a 100% understanding or identity of, of really what that means. Some say that it's because the temple of Zeus was also located, and part of the temple of Zeus, there was a throne that was there in that temple that is supposed to be the throne of Zeus, and that they uh, that really is kind of referring to that. Uh, others speak of the simple fact that they were located in the world, and, and the world, Satan's throne, is located in this world. He's the prince of this world, and perhaps just because they're there in the world. Whatever the exact interpretation or understanding of that, the understanding was is that they were in the middle of a stronghold of evil, the middle of a stronghold of evil. Jesus brings this out again at the end of the verse. Again, he says that they live where, where Satan dwells. And whatever the exact case, theirs was the task. Theirs was the, the, the call to live their Christian life, live their Christian walk, live their Christian witness in the middle of an absolutely corrupt culture. The fact is, there's some places in the world that it's easier to live the Christian life than others. Amen? I don't know if you've noticed that or not. Uh, you know, and I know we've got a lot of, uh, winter visitors with us and, uh, I, I don't know what it's like where, where you come from. Is it easier to live a, a Christian life in Idaho than it is in Montana? Or is it easier to live as a Christian in Canada than it is in Washington or Oregon? Is it easier to live as a, as a Christian in, in one place? Well, maybe, maybe in some ways it is, but there is no paradise here on earth. I don't know if you've caught that or not. Uh, paradise is no longer here on earth. As good as it might be, as good and as nice as your hometown might be, the fact is, is evil still dwells there. Amen? The fact is, is just, just about every place. There's, but there are some places that it's a little bit easier to live. I know that there are some places, even in our country, it just seems like the culture of the town, the culture of the people, is just more conducive to, again, to, to live a Christian life. And I know our, our, our Midwest area of our, of our nation seems to be a whole lot easier to live as a Christian there than, say, it would in, uh, in San Francisco. 
we lived in Las Vegas for a while. We lived there for about um, about a year and a half in Las Vegas. That's just a bizarre place. Uh, in case you've never lived there, you know, people talk about the wickedness of Las Vegas, and absolutely it is. I mean, it's on the billboards, wicked. It's on the TVs, wicked. It's in the grocery stores, wicked. You go into the grocery stores, and they've got lines and lines of slot machines, and you've got, you know, these, uh, pardon the expression, ladies, you got these little old ladies who just got their check, and they're sitting there, they've cashed the thing at the groceries, you know, at the cashier, and they're over there playing, trying to double or nothing their money for the week, and you think, wow, really? But that's not the depth of the wickedness. All you got to do is drive around, and all of a sudden you see it advertised, and you see it on taxi cabs advertised, and you see shows that are being advertised, and you see all of these things, just the wickedness that's there. But you know what? There were some powerful Christians in Las Vegas, and and that's what blessed us while we were there. We we had one of the guys at our church that actually worked at one of the casinos. He was a doorman at a casino. And you think, how in the world can you be a doorman at a, at a casino? I thought you were a Christian. Because he was a Christian. And he worked as a doorman. That's how he could do it. And he lived his life as a believer. And he was very vocal in his life as a believer. In that culture, he was had a job at a place that people were coming in there and going out of there all hours of the day and night, absolutely empty, absolutely empty. And yet he knew that in Christ was the answer that these had. The people that he worked with, he was able to share his testimony. He was able to share the hope that was within him with these people. Pergamos was a place that was because of the culture. It was difficult. I know that there are some industries, there's some jobs that that some of you may have had or maybe you have right now and it's difficult to be a Christian within the industry or the occupation. It's difficult to take a stand for Christ because of the vileness of the nature of the business. And I worked construction for most of my adult life and I used to talk about, man, how, how vile uh, it was in construction until some lady talked to me and says, you think it's vile being in construction, you ought to be in the office where I work. And again, just the all the affairs and all the discussion and all the details and everything, the hatred and people stepping over one another, one another and all of this. She says, no, you're not unique on that. And I got to thinking, no, because you know what? People is people. And outside of Christ, people are lost. And they, they are in desperate need of a savior. And there's not one occupation that's much better than another one in that case. Uh, of course, you're a pastor, and hopefully uh, you, you don't have that same problem there. Uh, law enforcement, a rough, rough place to be as a believer and to stand strong. Why? Because you've got you've to be tough, and you've got to be able to stand against all of these things. Uh, construction trades, entertainment industry. Uh, can you imagine being a Christian and, and having a job working on Broadway? Where just the, the vileness, the homosexuality, all of these things that are going on there continually, just the loose morals that are, how do you stand for Christ in the midst of that? But you know what? We need men and women in Christ in every industry, in every occupation. We need Storm and Normans, the anti-Mormon Dorman Formans. We need those guys. We need guys in the entertainment industry and women in the entertainment industry that are willing to stand for Christ, that aren't allowing themselves to be pulled into, again, just the the vileness and the profanity of the rest of the world. 
Pastor David Landry has been taking us verse by verse through the book of Revelation, and we know you'll want to come back for more. If you'd like to hear today's message again or listen back through other teachings, you can find them all at theopenword.com under the Teachings tab. We hope today's message has touched your heart, settled some questions you've had, and maybe even caused you to ask a dozen more. If you do have questions, we'd love to do all we can to answer them. Please give us a call at 520-836-9676. We'd love to pray for you, too, and learn more about your journey of faith. Once again, that number is 520-836-9676. We believe that God has given us the church so that we can learn more about Him and about living together in community. Are you a part of a local body of believers? If you're in the Casa Grande area, Pastor David has a special invitation for you. Thanks for listening to The Open Word. If you're in the Casa Grande area and looking for a church home, I'd love to meet you and shake your hand. Welcome you to our community of believers here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. We meet weekly on Saturdays, Sundays, and Wednesdays for a time of worship, fellowship, and studying the Bible. You'll be able to find out more about us and get directions by visiting theopenword.com. And under the links at the bottom of the page, click on Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. I look forward to meeting you. Thanks, Pastor David. That's all we have time for today. But join us to learn more from the pages of Revelation right here on The Open Word.